Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And of course, through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd like to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of aerospace engineering. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on this show. I know that we've had a chat about the anonymity of this podcast. What were your kind of thoughts about it? Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting thing to think about over the last couple of weeks, how to kind of honestly tell about my experiences in such a way that uh, it doesn't identify me. And that's, that's sometimes difficult when you're faced with a situation where when you actually get into the specifics of uh, what you work on or where you were for certain incidents, uh, then it would be pretty easy to figure out who the person speaking is. Why was it so important for you to have anonymity? Well, I think anonymity is useful in terms of making it a little easier to open up about certain things and maybe about how certain things made you feel. Yeah, because I feel like the women that I've interviewed um, have stories to tell and are you protective over your anonymity because your experiences have been overall positive or negative? I don't know that I would classify it overall as positive or negative. I think I I think my own experiences have probably been fairly typical. And I would say that while there have certainly been many positive experiences in my career, there have been some negative ones as well. And um, it's not always easy to figure out how to handle those. And it's not always helpful in the moment to try and pursue justice or change over those negative experiences. Sometimes you end up feeling like you just have to take it and move on. And I think there are certainly people who've affected my life and my career that probably to this day have no idea what the effects of what they did and said were. Yeah, I feel the same way having studied mechanical engineering. Um, The older I get, the more I realize that I actually was trudging quite a lonely road as a woman in Mekenge. What's your experience been like? I I think that's a pretty accurate way to put it. Um, There have certainly been times and places where I had other women 
um, that were doing similar things to me. But there have also been a number of times when I was the only woman around. And sometimes that felt extremely isolating. And I think that a lot of times my male colleagues would have no idea just how isolating it felt. Um, there was a, a time during the latter part of my graduate studies where I worked in a lab that was located off the main campus. Uh, and it was in an area where there were a cluster of labs that were near one another. And despite the fact that there were maybe four laboratories, all within short walking distance of one another, um, we were separate from the main campus, and I was the only female student at any of those for an extended period of time. So the only woman I was seeing regularly in my day-to-day -day, uh, work life was actually an administrative assistant who worked in a building next door. Wow. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, when I hear that uh, and obviously think about my own experiences, I then ask myself the question, why do I need to be surrounded by women? I mean, why, what, what is the big deal with that? Um, and I go into this self-questioning state, but what's your kind of opinion on that? Like, why do we need to mix with other women? What are we getting from that? So I think there are benefits both for us individually as women, but also benefits to the field in general. Um, one of the things that I've done over the years is actually participate in and help establish a number of um, organizations for women in science and engineering. And those were extremely helpful just to have kind of a, a network and to realize that you're not as alone as you sometimes feel. And this was something that I observed helping women from undergraduate, from freshman year, all the way through their graduate degrees. Um, I think it can be very empowering to not feel alone. Mm. And that's kind of on an, on an individual basis. I mean, we all sometimes need, it, need somebody to relate to who can kind of understand our experiences. I also think that just in general, we would be a lot better off if we had more women in these kinds of fields, because um, progress really depends on having new ideas. And a great way of getting new ideas is having more diversity in the people who are producing ideas. Yeah, exactly. I actually did um, a school's talk today. Um, and one of the questions from the audience was, why are there so few women in STEM? That is such a hard question. Yeah. I really struggled to answer it too. I was like, yeah, why are there so few women in STEM? I mean, clearly we chose it, but why are other women not choosing it? I think in many cases, there are women who are choosing it and then choosing to turn away from it. So there, at least here in the US, we, we've had lots of discussions about leaky pipes and things of this nature where um, you look at the interest that young girls may have in, in STEM subjects and you see where their interest drops off and try to target that. But at the same time, you can look further down the line and look at the women who are already in STEM fields and how many of them transfer out of it at uh, the undergraduate level or how many don't go to graduate school, even if they finish their undergraduate degrees. Um, 
And then from graduate school to jumping into academia, there's there's another huge drop. And I think it's it's a difficult problem because it's very multifaceted. There are a lot of different things that you can see as being contributors to it, mm. um, whether it has to do with societal attitudes or simply the fact that it's not always easy being the only one or one of very few because you may stick out and not everyone wants to deal with that stress. Yeah. So what's been your journey then? Um, take me right back to when you were a little girl. Was it obvious back then that you would end up as an aerospace engineer? It was obvious from fairly early on. Um, <laughs> I had a science teacher for a mother and I, like many kids, was extremely curious and constantly asking questions. Uh, and it's funny because in hindsight, I can look back at some of the things that I was interested in when I was really little and realize like, oh, that's why I ended up studying the specific things that I ended up studying. Ooh, like what? Um, so when I was two, there was a trip that we took to New Orleans in Louisiana. And so I was quite small at this point, but I remember that my parents took me on a um, steam driven paddle wheel boat that has a big red wooden paddle at the back mm -hmm. that spins and drives the boat. And uh, I was utterly fascinated <laughs> by this. That's so awesome. <laughs> to the extent to the extent that I just wanted to go back to the back of the boat and stand over this big red paddle wheel, which I referred to as my paddy wheel because I was little. And I just was fascinated by watching what the water did mm. as it was splashing off of this thing and what it was doing in the, the wake of the boat. Yeah. And I just, it was, it was so fascinating to me that my parents took me uh, to go have lunch. And I think, uh, it was at a McDonald's that was on the boat and they were giving me um, a Happy Meal, which at that time was like the thing that every kid wants, yeah. right? Uh, but all I wanted was to go back and watch this paddle wheel. That's amazing. So what were the then, what were the subsequent steps? So I went through a couple of different scientific fascinations from fairly early on. Uh, one of them was geology. Uh, I went through the phase that I think a lot of kids go through where I wanted to pick up and identify every single rock uh, and all of all of the cool ones. And I had a couple of uncles who were geologists who uh, definitely <laughs> helped feed that interest. Um, by first grade, I wanted to be an archaeologist, but at the time I was confusing it with paleontologist because I was in my dinosaur phase and I wanted to study dinosaurs. And it was in third grade that the space bug hit for me. And in third grade, we had these little like kind of children's newspapers that would come out. Uh, they were called weekly readers. And they would have a few pages with different articles about science and whatever other subjects. Uh, and at the time... The, I think the first module of the International Space Station either had just been launched or was about to be launched. And they put out a, an issue that had an artist conception of the completed International Space Station on it. And I remember turning to the kid next to me and saying, I'm going to live there someday. <laughs> so that was kind of my, uh, 
initial fascination with uh, with space. And from there, I thought I'd be an astronomer for a few years until middle school when I discovered that astronomers basically uh, spent all their time waiting to uh, to see things on telescopes. And I decided I wanted something a little more active. Mm. And that was when I first kind of discovered aerospace engineering as a subject. Uh, and I was like, I'll, oh, that's awesome. I'll have space and I'll get to do things. Uh, and from then on, I was obsessed with going and studying aerospace engineering. Although to be completely honest, I really did not know what aerospace engineering was. Right. So how did you even know it was a thing? Probably by searching around on the internet and looking for things that were related to astronomy, right. but not astronomy. Yeah. And how much of your path to get to the destination of aerospace engineering was influenced by your mum, the science teacher? Um, I think a, a lot of it was self-directed, but I also think that both of my parents had a pretty strong influence. Um, so my dad is, is somebody who works in retail, and, but he really should have been an engineer. I think the mathematics scared him away. Um, but he has always, he has better spatial reasoning than like anybody I know. And he loves woodworking. So I grew up, um, I was the oldest kid. And that meant that I was the prime helper for whatever projects my father was doing, whether it was building furniture or um, doing the kinds of woodworking that he would sell at arts and craft shows. So I learned from an early age about all different kinds of tools. And I never had the perception that because I was a woman, I couldn't do these sorts of things. Um, because from my very earliest days, I was going to lumber yards with my dad and helping him with projects. So I think that was honestly an important influence in me heading toward engineering as well uh, as all of the stuff that my mom did as a science teacher. I mean, she was definitely much more into biology than I was. I think she's always been a little disappointed that I never studied biology. Yeah. I mean, your journey with your father just completely resonates with my own journey. Was there a point then in time where you suddenly became very conscious of being female? I don't think that happened until probably high school or college. Um, I went to a relatively small high school for most of my, my journey in high school, and I actually skipped a grade one year, which um, put me ahead into classes that were somewhat harder. So did you skip a grade because of your performance in STEM subjects? The idea actually came about initially because of my performance in other subjects. Um, and if anything, the, the jump that I was going to be making in the STEM subjects probably worried my teachers the most. Um, but what I ended up doing was uh, cutting back on extracurricular activities so that I would have enough time to study really hard for basically jumping from geometry to calculus. <laughs> it's interesting what you said about your dad, maybe the math scared him off engineering. Um, did you, because there's one thing to be interested in STEM related subjects, and there's another thing to actually be able to perform well in those subjects at school. So what was 
it like for you actually studying those subjects to get to a place where you could go on to aerospace engineering? Yeah, I think I was the kind of kid that was always fairly self-reliant um, during those those earlier years. Um, actually, when I when I skipped ninth grade into eleventh grade, I had to spend the summer studying algebra two, and I basically tried to teach myself algebra two and trigonometry out of a textbook. And when I started in eleventh grade. Uh, my math teacher gave me an exam that would have been the final exam for the class that I didn't take. And he was pretty upset with my performance on it um, and specifically asked, why wasn't your mother helping you with this? Because he knew that my mother was a substitute teacher for the math department in the middle school. And I think he was stunned when I said, oh, she wasn't teaching me any of this. I taught this to myself. I, I ended up having to earn his trust, I remember, over that year. Uh, that particular math teacher was uh, that that initial performance did not endear me to him. <laughs> and I had to spend the year proving myself by working really hard at uh, at that particular math class. Proving ourselves as women has always been a feature of women in STEM, I think. We kind of, it, it feels from the feedback that I've had, it seems as though women have had to work extra hard to be respected in STEM. Have you come across that? I have, but honestly, I wonder how much of it we put on ourselves. Now, sometimes I see situations where it does seem like we, we are having to work really hard to prove ourselves. But on the other hand, I've definitely also observed women in situations where I feel like they're putting undue pressure on themselves to do that with the the idea that somehow it's required, but I can't find the evidence that it is. Yeah. Where do you think that all comes from? Because it just seems incredibly complex and kind of in our heads, but not in reality. No, I think that's that's honestly kind of a good way of putting it. And I think if uh, if I had more training in social science and psychology, I might be able to say more authoritatively what's going on there. But I, I suspect that at some point, a lot of the women who take this path, whether or not they're experiencing those kinds of situations, kind of internalize this idea that they have to perform extremely well. I also wonder to what extent that's just kind of the personality of the women who tend to make it all the way through, you know, the, the women who make it through the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, I really agree with you there because many women that do make it far in STEM tend to be perfectionists and really push themselves very hard. So they almost set their own high expectations for themselves. I agree. Absolutely. I've, seen that extremely strongly among women who pursue academia in these subjects. Um, I've despaired a few times at some of the universities that I was at to see that, you know, for example, maybe the only woman in the department is literally the only tenured female woman in the department is somebody who runs what would be considered multiple laboratories with full research programs. So she's going above and beyond compared to all of the male colleagues. She has no children, uh, no family. And I just look at that and think that is, that's not the role model that all of 
the young undergraduates are going to want to see. They're going to see that and say, well, maybe that life isn't for me. Mm, Yeah. So as a woman in STEM, how has it been? Oh, it's definitely had its ups and its downs. Um, (laughs) I think we oftentimes tend to focus on, on some of the negative aspects. So I've been trying to think over the past, past few days what some of the really nice aspects have been for me. And I think uh, many of those have come from personal relationships at different points. Um, it's, been, it's been really wonderful meeting other men and women in the subject and becoming very close um, graduate school in particular tends to be really tough. Uh, and so a lot of really good bonds can be formed there. I think there's certainly also been negative experiences as well. Um, some of which are, are kind of funny, honestly. Uh, the first, I had a class, um, my freshman year in my second semester where it was one of the first true engineering classes that I was taking. And it ended up being a very small class, only about a dozen people. And I was the only woman, which I discovered on the first day of class when I walked in the room and one of the male students leapt out of his chair and started applauding wildly. And I had the sort of reaction you would expect, something along the lines of what the hell. Uh, And it it turned out I had a, a, a close friend who was in the class and who had arrived earlier than I had because I was coming from the opposite end of campus. And this guy who had jumped up and started clapping had declared that he would, quote, give a standing ovation to the first chick who walked in. Wow. So I was the only chick I got a standing ovation. And how did that make you feel? Well, I mean, at the time, uh, before I knew what was going on, it was definitely just what the hell? And afterwards it was, you know, a certain level of annoyance Mm -hmm. because I'm just a student showing up on the first day of class. Why are you drawing this attention to me? Um, Unfortunately, the professor of that class was possibly the biggest chauvinist at the university, uh, which meant that it was not a, the fact that I was a woman was not a thing that could be forgotten for the entire rest of the semester. Mm. This guy, for example, this professor, he had only 12 students in this class and he did not bother to learn anyone's name, but mine. So that drew attention. He also, at one point we had a, uh, we had a field trip that required us to wear um, personal protective gear. So we had to wear hard hats and, and safety glasses and things like that um, at the facility that we were visiting. And this professor told me that the hard hat made me look cute. Especially after creating a podcast like this, the gender debate comes up. And sometimes I find myself asking, you know, am I making more of an issue of the gender imbalance than there really is? Because when you start talking about male and female, it kind of creates a wedge I mean, is there a wedge or isn't there? Because, I mean, women are choosing these subjects out of free will. And I just, I do wonder whether whether there is actually something to discuss or not. I think that's, I, I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with. Um, sometimes it's easy to make mountains out of molehills. But on the other hand, there's 
there's the whole concept of microaggressions where people can say things that are perhaps not overtly um, super negative, but can kind of be taken that way. And when you have that kind of thing going on all the time, it builds up to a real emotional burden for the person who's receiving that kind of, of treatment. Wow. You've just explained it in a way that just sums it up exactly. But I have to say, as a woman in engineering, that really does not look like a stereotypical engineer, whatever that look is. The repeated comments about how I didn't look like a mechanical engineer really weighed me down to the point where I just thought, you know what, I just, I want to stop feeling like an imposter. Yes. And that's why I took a kind of slight u-turn in my career and did something that was more of my passion um not because I wanted to get out of engineering I really didn't but it was such a relief to be in something where I could just be myself oh yeah I I think that's absolutely true um and I think that probably is a lot of the reason that women who originally enter these fields end up leaving them because they, it just gets to be a burden having to deal with these extra expectations or these different expectations. And you, you sometimes feel like you're being held up as a symbol for whatever group of people you represent, whether that's women in engineering or whether you're um, from a particular ethnic background or religious background or anything that makes you different. It gets frustrating to have to deal with kind of the burden of being held up as a symbol for that. And so a lot of times it just feels easier to take a turn and to maybe leave something that you're really passionate about, but move into an area where you don't have to bear as many burdens. Yeah. I mean, is that why you've stayed in your chosen field because of your passion? I mean, honestly, I have... I have always struggled against the urge to be pinned down into a very specific thing. So doing a PhD is uh, essentially you have to bury yourself into one tiny little topic until the point where you can prove yourself to the world's experts that you are also an expert in that thing. Yeah. And I, while I had a passion for engineering, and I really loved the subject that I was working in. I've also always had a passion for writing uh, and for many other subjects. And I hated the kind of push, especially in engineering, to define yourself only by this one thing that you're doing. I always liked being well-rounded. So I always kind of resisted <laughs> getting pushed into this very narrow corner. And I think that's part of why I ended up not pursuing academia uh, because I didn't want to feel like I could only spend my life working on this one thing. Yeah, there's a certain amount of shame around being a well-rounded person, isn't there? Because more and more um, people are expecting you to have an expertise and stick to it. Even if it's not an expertise, it's kind of like a niche and um, you're expected to stick to that. But that doesn't sound like your style. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I think you can you can trace a line all the way back to what I was talking about with having skipped a grade. Um, the original impetus for that was to actually get into more difficult English classes than uh, what I was going to be getting from the 10th grade curriculum. Uh, and so what started out is what if we, you know, is there any way that I can take these more advanced courses in the humanities turned into, well, why don't you just skip that grade entirely? Because <laughs> the scheduling would be easier. So I've kind of always, always resisted being stuck in a, in a single box when I could pursue multiple interests instead kind of highlights a little niggling feeling that I've had, which is in promoting women in STEM. Because part of me just wants to promote people pursuing their passion. That might be STEM, it might not be STEM. And so it would be great to see more women in STEM, but I wonder whether promoting women in STEM is the right way to go about it. I think what is really valuable is having people who are passionate about what they're doing. And I would love for any woman who has a passion for science and engineering to be able to pursue that and to not feel as though she was dealing with a bunch of extra burdens for choosing that route over a different route. Right. Yeah. Part of that, honestly, is it's, it's difficult to imagine yourself in these fields when you don't see other people like you in them. And there probably is, as you mentioned right at the start, like a percentage of women who are passionate about it, but this, but then just dropped out. Oh, yes, that certainly happens. And I've, I've seen that happen with uh, a number of women as well. So what do you think should be done to try and level up the balance? So I think there are a lot of different things that people have been pursuing in recent years. Um, one of the things that I will be really interested to see uh, as it grows, what kind of effect it has on gender ratio is the, the use of more active learning and like flipped classrooms where mm -hmm. students spend their time outside of the classroom, um, maybe watching videos that are taking the place of lectures uh, and reading books and taking notes. And then in class, they're instead working in groups and asking questions and kind of have, have their professors and their um, teaching assistants and, and the other teaching staff like right there. And the other, they do more learning from one another rather than learning from the figure at the front of the classroom who's talking at them. Uh, and I wonder if some changes like that might end up appealing more to women than the traditional lecture courses have. Um, I don't know whether it will be good or bad, but I think it will be interesting to see whether that ends up affecting the gender ratios in many of the STEM subjects. Yeah, I mean, having studied engineering for a long time, I then got out of university and realized that the real world is nothing like what I thought it was. And I had built no skills to tackle life on life's terms. Um, I had these amazing qualifications that indicated that I was of a certain intellectual level, but when it came to dealing with real life, I was clueless. <laughs> so 
I feel as though education is one thing and um, I don't know, wisdom is something completely different. And uh, it would be... It would be so great if the educational system could incorporate life skills somehow. Um, and maybe by doing that, um, people would be, people would have more courage to actually follow their true interests and skill sets. So for example, um, if failure was an acceptable thing and not frowned upon, then maybe people might choose careers where they would feel a bit more comfortable in failing at it and learning from that. What would you want to tell women and girls who really have a passion for science the way you have? Um, what would you want to tell them to be able to pursue that? I think you make some really good points that uh, failure is sometimes a really good teacher. And hopefully that means that it's worth it to take a chance because when even when things don't work out, you'll learn something from it. Um, I know for me, something that's been a motivating factor uh, is fear of regret. So sometimes when I'm not sure whether I want to pursue something, um, for example, whether I want to major in aerospace engineering, um, I think to myself, well, in X many years, five years, 10 years down the line, how will I feel if I didn't try? And sometimes for me, at least personally, that that can help as a motivator. Um, I know during my my graduate studies there were some there were some pretty dark times in there personally, um, but I didn't seriously consider giving up on obtaining my PhD because I knew I would always regret it if I didn't. Yeah, and it's kind of we're in interesting times because I think. Um, young people more than ever are very tempted by the instant gratification of, you know, gaining a following mm -hmm. um, through social media or, you know, instant fame in one way or another. Um, and I've certainly had people coming up to me at conferences like VidCon saying, I'm in the middle of my PhD, but um, I seem to be getting a lot of interest from the media. Should I just give up my my doctorate? And I'm like, don't do it, you know. Um, but it is a lot of hard work. Like, is it worth sticking with it? I mean, I know what I feel about it, but how do you feel about it? First of all, I would say it's also really hard work building up a large following online. That's not a thing that just happens overnight, typically. And it, it involves a lot of hard work. Um, in much the same way that doing a PhD involves a lot of hard work. Um, the funny thing to me is that now being several years out of my PhD and knowing lots and lots of people who've gotten them, um, I feel less and less like having a PhD is a certification of your intelligence and it's more a certification of your perseverance. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Um, not not to belittle getting a PhD because there's a lot of really great things that you learn on the way to getting that PhD. But honestly, um, I think that we sometimes assume that oh, I'm not smart enough for that, and and it really is not a question of of innate intelligence or or even school smarts. It's a measure of how hard you're willing to work for an extended period of time to reach this point. Yeah, I think that's really true of especially the PhD, but all qualifications, just that commitment to something that you've started um, really speaks volumes about the kind of character that you are, mm-hmm. um, which is why I guess both of us are real advocates for sticking with education. Yes. But in terms of the educational journey, um, something that's cropped up a lot in the interviews that I've conducted is that often in STEM, the educational path is long, you know, to get that expertise takes a lot of investment of time. And once you finish that, it would be a real waste to then not go into a career and work your way up there as well. But in doing all of that, how do you balance all the other things in life, like social life and family possibly and all of that? Like, do you think women can have it all by choosing STEM? I don't know for sure that STEM has a whole lot to do with the question of whether women can have it all. I think that women outside of STEM also struggle with that concept of can we have it all? Um, But I know it's something that has been a, an important question hanging over my head for years. I, not that long ago was, um, we moved into a new house and I was going through boxes of old things, including a bunch of, um, like magazines from my university days. And there was an article I came across from one of the publications the university put out where I had been interviewed and it was specifically about questions of, women and whether they can have families and careers and so forth with while pursuing engineering and going back and reading the uh the comments that I made as an undergraduate really made me realize just how long I'd been asking myself those questions and how long I'd been kind of obsessing about the questions of could I you know, pursue a graduate degree? Could I go into academia? Could I have a career? Could I also have a family? And I think um, for what it's worth, I I have a husband, we have not yet had children. Um, We would like to. So I haven't reached that stage of my life yet in some sense. But um, at every point in your life, there are questions about how do I prioritize this aspect of my life versus that aspect of my life? And you, it never goes away, the need to figure out how to balance your needs as a person. And honestly, I think a lot of growing up and a lot of going through school, whatever it may be, is figuring out what are my priorities? What are my needs? How can I balance those needs? Uh, Because we all need to have a certain level of, of social life. We all want to be able to have family, whether that means having children or not. Uh, And 
especially in the culture that we have here in my country, um, there is a huge obsession with work and working honestly unhealthy amounts. And so I think we all need to have a lot of conversations about what what balance looks like and what having it all looks like. And I think, um, especially for women trying to pursue difficult career subjects, being in a situation where you have a, a supportive network around you is extremely important, whether that's your spouse, your partner, um, your, your parents, your circle of friends. Uh, we all need to have some kind of support to help us take care of ourselves as well as the people we love. That is crucial. And it's interesting that you talk about balance and kind of really trying to always be mindful of all the things that we want um, and kind of work towards achieving those things. There may be some women out there who are kind of screaming at this podcast going, but when do you start thinking of that? Because when I was at university, I had no time to be thinking about finding a partner kind of trying to settle down with a family. I was just trying to get the grades I needed to move on to the next thing. Um, how, you know, when should we start thinking about having a balanced life? Because during the academic years, it usually is very imbalanced. It is, but I think that it's important to think about it during those times as well. Um, and honestly, I, I personally... I was diagnosed with depression for the first time after my freshman year of college. And that was really a point where I started realizing the need to take care of myself and my own needs and not simply to focus on all of the external things that were going on, whether that was um, commitments that I'd made to various groups or trying to get the highest grades that I could get. Uh, and Sadly for me, um, depression is a problem that, that crops up from time to time in my life. And it typically crops up at times when I haven't been good at balancing what I'm doing for others and what I'm doing for myself. And so at least personally, I think we should always be thinking about this because at some point you focus on things outside of yourself, say, or, or, you know, focus on, on things like your grades to an extent that you build up kind of a deficit of self-care that you needed to provide to yourself and you'll get burnt out and you'll, you'll, you know, things just kind of fall apart at some point. And at that point, it's all kind of shot. And ideally you don't get to that point of being burned out if you take care of yourself. And if you really do try to think about what are the things that I need um, and what you need goes beyond sleeping, eating and doing your academic work. Thank you so much for um, sharing that like information, very personal information with us. Um, I do feel like it's so important to know that it hasn't been easy your journey not because you know that I want to hear that you've had it tough but just you disclosing that kind of information makes me kind of let my guard down because I also really struggled with my studies but 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I was so adamant not to let anybody see that I was struggling, mm-hmm. that I just struggled through it to the point where I hit a wall with it. Um, and that's when I decided to make a complete U-turn in my career and do something that was more accepting of the person that I was. Yep. Yeah, I just think it's, I think it's really important for people to be very honest with themselves about what makes them tick. Because we are living in a society where people push themselves to extremes and are very competitive with one another. And um, I wonder if that's why women don't go into STEM, actually. Because engineering has been fascinating and amazing and so interesting, but it's not all of me. It doesn't satisfy all of me. Um, And it sounds like you also have multi-dimensions too. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that uh, it is important to keep in mind as much as we tend to label ourselves by things like our education, um, that we are more than the sum of the labels we bear. And that's something to keep in mind, not simply as you're trying to figure out what to do with yourself, but as you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. I mean, we, we do all need various aspects to our lives and, and whether your work life and your family life are things that overlap, you probably still need both of them (laughs) in order to be healthy. And, uh, I think that at least for me personally, a lot of my journey through STEM coincided with a journey of trying to figure out not only who I was and what I was interested in, but what my personal needs are and recognizing things like, um, I don't do well when I have too little sleep. So one of, one of the things that I did going through undergrad was set up my schedules in such a way that I would typically do classes in the morning and then labs and and homework and things in the afternoon. And I would have evenings free to myself, and then I would go to bed at a normal time. Uh, and, you know, I had plenty of classmates and sweetmates who would stay up all night if needed to work on, on their work. But I recognized that I couldn't follow my classes if I got less than six hours of sleep. So for me, I would at some point prioritize getting that sleep so that I wouldn't fall behind in everything else. And that was a situation where I recognized that I had a need and then I arranged my schedule in my life in order to meet that need. Right. So it's kind of really getting to know yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of what that period of your life is about anyway, just in terms of the age that you're at. And for many of us, we're away from home and away from our parents for the first time. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of learning about yourself that goes on there. Yeah, I, I must admit that I skipped that out. I just put everything on hold to get my qualifications. And then once I got my qualifications, it then became me time. And I did a bunch of kind of 
off-piste things like acting classes and just fun things that just got me out of my shell to really get to know myself. Um, but I guess the advice would be to anyone earlier in their own journey is get to know yourself as soon as you can. Yeah, I think it's certainly helpful. I, I also think sometimes we, we don't learn certain things about ourselves until we've been stress tested to sort of use an engineering term. Um, yeah. Certainly, that's what I found that some of the times when I'm under the most stress is when I come to realize um, sometimes, you know, just what my mental state is sneaks up on me because I don't realize that I'm taking on too much and trying to do too much until, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm. It's kind of an ongoing process. <laughs> Are you happy doing what you're doing right now? I do get a, a fair bit of satisfaction with the stuff that I do right now in terms of um, a level of personal satisfaction of kind of achieving goals that I set out for myself. Um, but I think as with many people, uh, I, I never am completely satisfied. I think we all have a tendency at some point to, you know, set a set of goalposts and say, you know, I'll be really happy when I achieve whatever. But then as you get to those goalposts, you're like, well, but actually let's move the goalposts over to this other spot and, and push ourselves to that. Uh, so that's certainly something that, uh, that I struggle with at times. I mean, in my, in my personal life, I'm, I'm quite happy, I have to say. Um, I have a wonderful husband and uh, we, we have a house and we live in a place that we enjoy and we go out and we do things on the weekends that, uh, that are a lot of fun, whether that's uh, hiking or skiing or cycling or whatever. Um, that I, I enjoy a lot and uh, yeah, overall pretty happy. Yeah, would you recommend STEM as a career to women or would you absolutely tell them to steer clear? <laughs> no, I would definitely still recommend STEM to women, but I would, I would encourage you to have a passion for it if you're going to do it. Uh, and I would remind people that taking care of themselves is really important and that it's okay if you ask yourself periodically and, and reevaluate what your goals are based on what you want and what your needs are. I think it's difficult sometimes to get into a situation where we feel like we have to pursue a certain thing because we said at one point that we were going to. And if that thing is not healthy for you and it's not a thing that you want, then you should feel like you can, you can, change your mind you can go in a different direction that's okay you mentioned your mum as being an important role model um for your journey in stem but who else has inspired you to pursue this path so i had um i will not claim that i've always had a uh smooth and easy route to studying stem uh, in fact when i was in middle school, uh, I hated math to the extent that um, because of some things that had gone on in previous year's classes, by sixth grade, I would become physically ill before math class every day. And I was ending up in the nurse's office multiple times a week because I was just physically nauseous before math class. 
And um, I had a teacher in, in sixth grade who recognized that I was struggling in part because I was really bored with what we were covering. It was too similar to stuff that I had done in previous years. And that had sort of driven me to the point that I just absolutely hated the subject entirely. And she put forth what I imagine was probably a rather enormous effort to basically run the math class, but also give me my own separate curriculum to work on. And, you know, she just said, you, you go over into the corner, you can work on this. If you have questions, you can ask me them, but don't worry about all of the stuff that the rest of the class is doing. And little by little, she was able to cure me of this sort of math phobia that I had built up and this uh, idea that I hated math and I didn't want to do it. Uh, and the subject that I ended up pursuing in aerospace engineering is extremely math intensive. And I've thought repeatedly in the years since that if it were not for that teacher, I don't think I would have pursued this path. So I've always been incredibly grateful to her for taking the time. That's so inspiring. And I think that probably happened because someone believed in you and someone was nurturing your talent because you were nauseous about mathematics, not because you were bad at it, but because you were probably too good at it and someone recognised that. How important do you think believing in yourself and kind of having others believe in you is for a journey in STEM? I think it matters a lot. One of the things that we haven't really talked about, but I think certainly um, impacts probably almost everyone who pursues STEM, but especially I think women, is uh, a concept called imposter syndrome, where we often feel like uh, any success is undeserved and that at any moment somebody's going to figure out that we don't belong there. Um, so I know I personally struggle have struggled and still struggle a lot with self-doubt about myself and my abilities. And so having people externally to look to who, who had confidence in me was always really important as a way to sort of recalibrate my own views of myself. Um, so I think having that kind of support and, and having people who are willing to say like, no, you, you're good at this is really important in helping us actually pursue those passions and, and, you know, reach our full potentials. Yeah. The imposter syndrome aspect of being in STEM is such a significant factor um, to the journey that we have. And I really, I was one of the cases that just soldiered through it um, because I felt like I, it wasn't, I didn't know it was a thing. And so I just pushed through it and it just made everything extra hard. But I think this idea of kind of finding a network of people to support you and really believe in you is so important. And it doesn't necessarily have to be women. It can be just anyone who really sees your potential and really believes in you. Um, for some reason, I always gravitated to people that did not believe in me because I wanted to try and prove them wrong or something. Um, but it just made everything more of a struggle. So it, there's, there's everything positive in just sticking with people that really champion you. 
And honestly, I think personally discovering that there were terms for things like this, that, that feel that, that feeling of being an, an imposter is not just local to me. That's something that other people feel so much so that there's entire people who spend their research career studying the concept. I think that is uh, kind of liberating in a way because it makes you realize that you're not nearly as isolated as you feel like you are. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately the problem of women in STEM. They're just very, very isolated. And there are there's very little conversation happening between women in STEM, let alone sort of just generally uh, about the journeys we're all taking in our careers because, you know, there is this overall sense of always looking like you've got this and that you're on top of things and you don't want to show that you're struggling in any way. And, and you know, having to keep the struggle under wraps is, I think, what exacerbates the struggle. Yes, I would agree so, with that. So, so I'm just so grateful that you've opened up today on this podcast and really shared what it's been like being a woman in STEM. I It sounds like it's been hard, but I honestly do get a sense that you're doing something that you are truly passionate about and believe that you can make a difference in. Um, and I guess that's what keeps you going, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, part of the reason that I do what I do now, which is a pretty non-traditional path, is the recognition that what I'm doing is helpful. It's helpful for the people in my field. It's helpful for the general public. I actually feel like what I'm doing now is more beneficial to the world than what I was doing when I was um, working a more traditional career path in, in STEM and engineering. So that is... It's very rewarding to feel like what you're doing is helping the world. Yeah, and that's what this whole um, effort has been about to push through in STEM. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That's it from our STEM guest this week, aerospace engineering. It's certainly one of the fields that has less women than most other STEM fields. And I really feel like the key message from chatting to her today is to not stay in isolation and really just find a group of people that support you and believe in you because that will be what bolsters you through a journey full of twists and turns and ups and downs. Thanks for listening this week. Catch you next week on Silence. Silence.